Joel. Welcome to the Invisible Path number six. How are you? Patrick, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Really good. Let's, um, we got a couple of listener questions, so I'm going to jump in on those, and we each have one this, uh, this episode, so that's fun for me. I'm not ignored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start off with a question from Mark D, which says, Joel, is it too late to start my Harry Potter Instagram? And what I mean by that is it seems like if you wanted to start something on Instagram now, the algorithm is working against new accounts in a way that prevents a lot of engagement. Is it even worth it? I guess it depends on uh, what you mean by worth it. Yeah, that's fair. So you're right, absolutely. And and it seems like everyone gets this now that um, you want to if you want to get that social media glory you've got to hop on uh hop on early um and and so that's you know that's part of this move to tiktok and all of that i mean this is funny i'm i'm the last person who should be answering any of these questions <laughs> because i'm really considering like pretty much torpedoing and just getting rid of all my social media ex- because it's it just doesn't jive with me but um or with my temperament but uh it really depends. I mean, if it's something that you like so much that you would just slog through it anyways, then, then it's worth it, I suppose. And, and if you have something uh, unique, a unique perspective to share, right. But then if you're trying to get that audience, you may have to be strategic about it. And maybe Instagram is not the place. Maybe you need to uh, find wherever uh, whatever's new, wherever there's a smaller audience, which at first doesn't feel good because there aren't as many people there. But if you start early and you put the work in on risk, not knowing what the outcome is on that platform, not knowing if it's going to be a, a huge success or if it's just going to disappear, if you're willing to take that risk, when the new platform comes up, then you may or may not be rewarded. <laughs> so there it is, <laughs> right? You, you'll be rewarded if it, if it takes off and you won't if it, if it becomes uh, the next vine. Yeah, uh, so I think that's an interesting, I think it's an interesting question. Um, I think you called out uniqueness and uniqueness is certainly the path of opportunity on established platforms. You have to think about it. You know, if you're going to create a Harry Potter Instagram, there's probably already 10,000 Harry Potter Instagrams. I I've done no research on if there, there is, but my guess is there is. So you would either have to be so good, like your Harry Potter Instagram have to, the content would have to be so impactful and impressive that it stood out about above, 10,000 or 100,000 or how many other, however much competition there is, or you'd have to be like the Hermione's wand Instagram. And all you did was like these amazing, spectacular things. And then you connected with this very niche audience that, so it uniqueness, I think is, is really important. Um, if you're, if you're looking, so I posted a picture on my sacred plant co Instagram. I posted a picture yesterday of a new product and it was just a bottle, right? It's a bottle with a label on it. And it got so much more engagement than I would have like, so then some of the stuff I set up and I work really hard on, but it was because it like, it's a very niche product. And, um, that was a real perspective shifter for me this week is that, 
people are really interested in a picture of a white bottle with a black and white label on it more than something I hiked into the mountains six hours to get a little glimpse of. So uniqueness is, is valuable. Uh, absolutely. And it, it does get back to the question uh, that they asked, which is, is it worth it? And it's like, well, what's your goal, I guess. So if you have uh, some kind of financial goal, um, pro- then it's probably not worth it, right? Yeah. If your goal is just to play around and have fun and put your, put your, um, uh, your particular spin on everything out there, then maybe it is worth it. Um, yeah. You know, I think one of the really randomly in the first, the first Harry Potter uh, book at the very end, he wakes up, he has his, his moment, his battle with uh, Voldemort and he, he wakes up in the hospital and he's been asleep for three days. Reminds me, it's, it's like, she's not screwing around. She has, it's not an accident that it's three days. It's like, yeah, it's like Christ in the cave yep. resurrection after three days. Amazing. Like all the things that, that she slips in there. So if you're that minded, you could, you could be the person who doesn't just do the, <clears throat> the whatever, the meme type stuff. You could be the person who's finding all of these different nuggets yeah. uh, uh, and these little twists that uh, Easter eggs, I suppose, Easter eggs that she puts in there mm-hmm. and uh, pointing those out to people. Yeah. yeah. And she, she put a lot in there so that there's a lot of content available there. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Second question here comes from Kara and it says, Patrick, you said billionaires should expect to hear no a hundred times before they would ever hear anyone say yes to their idea. If it's a billion dollar idea, why would anyone say? And I think this actually ties really well with, with the, the answer to question, to question number one from Joel, which is uniqueness. It is like, there, you are not going to come up with a billion dollar idea that everybody else understands, appreciates, and already has. Because if somebody understood it, appreciated it, and already had it, it would already be done and they would already have made the money. So if you're going to go to somebody and say, hey, I think we should start an online bookstore, um, people are going to think that's a, that's a weird idea 20 years ago, 30 or 20 years ago, probably. But now you're Amazon and now you can't stop making money no matter what you do. So there, there. <laughs> yeah. I think that if you are thinking of ideas that are are going to be to that level of success, people are going to have to think it's a crazy idea. People are going to have to think your idea is terrible and you should expect that everyone will think your billion your billion dollar idea is terrible, which is the reason that you have to go back to last episode and and figure out or a couple episodes ago now, I guess, uh, why, why you should do things when you have the perfect excuse not to. The perfect excuse is that people are going to tell you no. And if you really believe in it and you really see a path and you really want to be a billionaire, don't. But if you really want to be a billionaire, <laughs> yeah. then that is, that is the, those are the obstacles you're, you will 100% have to overcome, no doubt about it. And that's if you want to start a product that makes you a thousandaire, right? People are going to tell you your idea is terrible, no matter what your idea is, because it is yours and you're uniquely bringing it to the world. Well put, well put. I want to, I want to know a little bit about, um, what, what, what is the, what is making you consider walking away from, from social? Uh, 
the you know it it when i i am not on there very much and so it's very interesting to go on there after not being on there for a long time and it reminds me of uh people who who report when they travel outside of the united states and then they come back in and then they see how the people here are living within kind of a certain energetic vibration that's uh, informed by the media and all of that. They live with a certain amount of, I don't know what it is, uh, fear, whatever, whatever the narratives are. And, and so anyways, you hop into social media, whatever, whatever particular channel, whatever algorithm, you know, algorithmic content they're spitting out at you. But to me, it always seems the same. When I look at, when I look at the posts, it, like lately, it just seems like needy behavior. When I see posts, it's like, okay, you're trying to get attention. And so, and that's weird. And, and that's, maybe that's very small minded of me because there are a lot of people putting out very good, helpful, useful content. But now I just see it as this is weird. People are trying to get attention from me. And um, it's almost like I just, it is the new smoking. I do feel that way. And I'd, I'd rather find a way. I think podcasters are so much higher resolution, so much more nuanced. And I'd rather focus there and have the, have the social media pages be exist with really essentially nothing on them and just be there as a way where people, if they come across it, then they can go to the website or have a way to contact me. But that's about it. Yeah. Use it for making contacts. But I really have no interest anymore in posting anything. And it's, that could just be a cop-out on my, on my part. But I think that the real opportunity and real exciting thing to do is just to talk one-on-one with people like you and and do that instead and it's easy it's like it's one thing to say okay social media is the new smoking but then it's another thing to pull the cord and say well f it i'm not going to actually do any of it right and to position everything that way and and you go to the contact page like you go to the contact page on optimus red and it's like we're an anti-social company that's what it says on there (laughs) it's like don't here you can you can email you can text you can text you can email uh don't go to the social media there's nothing on there Mm. uh (laughs) who cares yeah so uh yeah i'm interested to see other i'm interested to see if, if companies start doing that in a in a more profound way because you see you see what's happening out there with censorship and things like that it's like well okay now you guys are censoring people having like phds having nuanced discussions so okay maybe this is not uh something you want to support necessarily yeah which leads us right into this week this week's topic right sure analog versus and um that's true man yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Magic how that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's early in the morning. My brain isn't working right. It's like, oh, Patrick's so good at this. <laughs> I want to I wanna I wanna dive into this topic uh, hopefully in a deep way, because I think I think it's really profound. And the thing that I've been thinking about this, the, th- the thing that has been drawing me to this concept is we are already in many ways living in the matrix, right? We, we are living, we are, we are actively choosing, many of us are actively choosing to live in what is essentially a fantasy world of, of online engagement. Uh, 
because it feels so much more powerful and it feels so much more plentiful and it feels like there's so much more opportunity to connect with people in this world that pulls you away from, from the analog real life. So I, I want to just ask you, how, how, did, how, did you, how do you kind of frame your idea? Uh, how, do, how does the idea crystallize of analog versus digital in your, in your mind? Um, so I think of it in a lot of different ways. We can think about analog and digital. We can think about do-it-yourself versus outsourcing and real life connection and community versus social media and all of that. And, and I think about, I mean, we, we can take this in a bunch of different directions. Certainly there's the social media aspect to it. There's also um, very, uh, there, there's things that we don't even realize that, that we've given away service wise. Like here's a really just far out example um, from this, uh, writer and philosopher um, Ivan Illich. So in Mexico, he documented um, the the uh, takeover of <clears throat> of modernity in, in Mexico. And I'm not sure when this was, maybe in the 50s, 40s, something. But he talks about how uh, the institution of funeral homes came into Mexico. The, like this is far out. We'll, we'll get back to social media, but I just want to take it to a completely different place. <clears throat> so before you had funeral homes in Mexico, people would bury their dead. <clears throat> and, and after you had funeral homes in Mexico, well, people didn't bury their dead anymore. It, that was an outsourced service. And then what happened when you had that outsourced service? Well, you needed another service. You needed a grievance counselor or a therapist mm -hmm. because you didn't go through the process of actually like the grim process that I'm glad I don't have to deal with of dealing with grandma or grandpa or whoever, you know, this tragic corpses that you have to deal with. You have to bury this damn thing and you have to cry while you're doing it. And, um, and so if you didn't do any of that, Oh, and to tie it back to Harry Potter, what did Harry Potter do when Dobby died? He didn't use magic to yeah. dig Dobby's grave. Yeah, he really did hard. it by hand, yeah. right? And and she and uh, J.K. Rowling, she laid all that out beautifully in there. And mm. and so by having a service that outsources something for you, it's 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 a great thing. What a luxury! But in some ways, it, you should recognize that it's also taking something away from you, and that you may need another service like a grievance counselor or a therapist as well, because you're not fully kind of processing these things in the way that our ancestors did. Um, and, and so we just went, so like part of this whole invisible path series is to recognize things that are completely invisible to, to everyone, like, like all these services around us and like all this, uh, these digital traps that are, that are in the world that we don't even see anymore because we just, we just have lived with it for so long. Yeah. Ooh, man, that one, I mean, great tie back to Harry Potter there. That, that is such an emotional moment though, right? Because you, you yeah. develop such an attachment to, to this little house elf. And um, like the, the visualization of this limp, lifeless body being carried and, and, the, and the like care that went into to physically and manually digging that component, it really, it really is valuable. There's a, there's a very similar thing in India. Um, so in India, 
they they build funeral pyres and they and they cremate the body and they they do it within hours of death like ideally this is done within hours of death and they say it's for a couple of reasons it's um the first reason is that the, they believe that there is some pranic energy that, that is residual within the body. And that pranic energy is what allows fingernails and hair to continue growing after death. And releasing that energy immediately um, is, is beneficial uh, to, to the family. And, and what, what, the, what the like wrapping, the final wrapping on this is as, as the family lets go of the physical body of, of the deceased, the, the grievance process is, is essentially handled in that way. Like you, they were there, they watched this body kind of ignite and, and return back to the atmosphere in, in the ways that it does or return back to the, to the world in the way that it does. And um, as it shifted, as it shifted in the exact same way that you use mm-hmm. this Mexico reference and the, and the timing has become longer, the grieving process has become longer and it's become harder and it's become noticeably socially different. And it's just from, from burial time or from cremation time. And that is a pretty darn interesting thing. It's a pretty darn interesting thing. It's, it's, it's everywhere. You think about, you think about music, like what, what music used to be versus what it is now and music used to be you know singing banging with sticks beating on drums around a campfire and and music was a thing that you did yourself and other people that you knew did so you could entertain yourselves and and then it turned into a service it turned into something that was a commodity that you could buy and sell and i'm not saying that's a bad thing because my god um thank God there's the Rolling Stones and thank God there's the Beatles and, and everybody else uh, because I'm not that musical. And, and so it would be sad if all, all I had was just, you know, me and my family to, to entertain me with music. Um, it wouldn't go well, but, but to just recognize that, that there was like a, a real fundamental shift that happened a long time ago with that is, is an interesting thing. And, you know, I was thinking the first thing to talk about before I just took it straight to funerals <laughs> was, was, um, was like the very, uh, you know, the very obvious thing of like with music of, of the difference between a download or now it's not even a download. It's a stream, right? Versus, versus a, a long play 33 and a third record. Yeah. And how you think about like kids, like boomers that were growing up, and coming of age in the seventies and they got a hold of like the latest Led Zeppelin album. And it had like, it had like strange occult symbolism on it. Maybe if it was like the fourth album and, and it's like, it's this physical object. It's like a, it's like the, it's like the most modern day equivalent we have. I think of like a sacred book or something mm. like, a, like for those kids that were, that were coming of age and like, trying to you know score some like really low grade grass in the 70s or whatever yeah. and they've got their Led Zeppelin album <laughs> i mean it must have been a sort of occult experience uh for those who who wanted that and who are really tapping into it and you think about today how music today is is like the latest music video that's put out by a band um and it's bookended by by ads mm. and it's not even an MP3 anymore on your phone. It's just, well, you pull it up on YouTube and you watch it 
yeah. and then it's vapor. It's gone. Yeah. And so, so I think something is lost there for sure. Uh, there's something magical, I think, about having that, that physical representation in your hands and nothing did it better than records. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really interesting point. Um, it's all, so music is a, music is a really, a really interesting lens to look at this through because you have to imagine that, that music initially was, was created around some type of spiritual activity, right? Or at least it's very intertwined yeah. in that, in that deep, deep, deep human history. Uh, it, it, they're very entwined and, and, and you called it out really nicely in that, in that seventies kid, right? There was yeah. a spiritual component to, to holding this, this mm. magic in your hand. It and was, if, yeah. If you go back to like early Beatles, right? Initial Beatles and initial Beatles to me are really interesting because of how much credit, well-deserved credit they get for changing the music industry. But if you go listen to like, I want to hold your hand, that is like some twangy, like you listen to that and you think about how that sound is revolutionary at the time. Yeah. And, and holding that sound in your hand at the time was like mind blowing. And now I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that we're going to get back to a mind blowing musical album, right? We can get to appreciation mm -hmm. of music, but something that you put on and it's just like, I mean, you listen like a live, a live <laughs> recording of I want to hold yeah. your hand and girls are like passing out and just screaming at the top of their lungs and holding their head. They cannot believe this is happening in front of them. Yeah. And it's just like, yep. I want to hold your hand. <laughs> I mean, and they back in the day, they did that in one take. You show up to the studio. Yeah. There, there's no mixing. There's no tracks, really, right? I don't know, four tracks, something like that. They just record the thing in one take and you're done. Yeah. Um, they, like one of the, yeah, it, it was ab like rock and roll was ab absolutely an ex a spiritual experience yeah. um, back in the day. There's a great video on YouTube. If you like David Bowie, it is uh, Moon Age Daydream. And it's this live one. I, I don't know from when 1972 or something maybe. And it's Mick Ronson, the guitarist. He's doing this solo at the end of that song. And the girls are just like, everyone is in this ecstatic trance. It looks to me like they're almost speaking in tongues. It's amazing. But so if you want to like, if you want to get a sense of like how synthetic music is today, this is the most incredible thing ever. There's you're the only reason I'm aware of this is because I, I have um, you know, a 15 year old and a 13 year old, there's this Korean boy band. It's like the new version of, you know, new kids on the block or whatever. Yep. They're called, they're called BTS. And they have a new song that came out, a new music video. And with that was paired a McDonald's meal. They had to advertise it. <laughs> and this is bad. So that's awesome. They have like real spicy sauces for the chicken nuggets. Hilarious. So, but what's amazing, this is like a, a like a, a boy band and it's, I think there's like seven members. Only one of them speaks English. And yet the song is sung in English. Really? Because they know that it's a bigger market. Yeah. Right. And so this is a fascinating thing that um, they've been established, I, I suppose, for a while, but this is their second song in English. Only one of them speaks English. So talk mm -hmm. about a synthetic uh, music yeah. experience. I mean, it's synthetic for them, practically. Yeah.
it's it's a stunning thing and and you can i mean pop music today it's 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 practically like a formula like you can listen to it and say my god that is like that does something to my brain so well that you can tell yeah that's going to be a hit and and so it's it's come down to some kind of science almost um but i mean with, with this whole like virtual versus mm. versus analog thing i mean it, i think what we see a lot mm. is is that the virtual you're trying to replace you're trying to fill a hole mm. with something that maybe you're not getting in the analog world um and you can see that like so well in japan you have like these girlfriend cafes where lonely men or anyone i suppose can walk into a cafe and pay someone for the service of pretending and acting like they are their girlfriend for like 15 minutes or an hour or whatever and so this is like a very very sad situation that we find ourselves in in the modern world where we're looking in the phone in the screen wherever to replace something that, that we've lost essentially uh, because of our, our modern way of life. And we're trying to fill that hole again. And I think it's even worse because not only are we trying to replace something with the phone, but the phone is pulling us away from the, from the real thing we're trying to have. Like, right. Instead of, instead of the 15 minutes in the internet cafe with your internet cafe girlfriend, you could be out in the street and you might run into your future partner, right? So yeah. that is the, the, the challenge, the, the thing that I see that's terrifying about, about this and why I think it is matrixy is that it's very easy to logically make the choice of going into the digital world as opposed to exploring the analog world because the opportunity within the digital world feels so real and and it it exudes opportunity it just the the digital world has infinite opportunity or the illusion of infinite opportunity and i think a lot of the digital world is very illusionary and when you start chasing mirages uh you end up in a in a very frustrating place and there, there has to be, there has to be some folklore around chasing mirages. I don't know any of it, but sure. go read mirage folklore because um, that is what we're doing when we, when we are pursuing the things we want in the real world online. And it's risk-free too. There's no rejection if you do that, right? You can be sure that you're going to get your synthetic dopamine hit, and you won't be rejected because. Well, you paid for the service, right? Yeah. You paid for the girl to pretend to like you for 15 minutes. Yeah. And if you go and you, you see someone in the real world that you don't know, or maybe even if you do know and you have an interaction with them, yeah. it, it, it may not go the direction you thought it would go or would like it to go. Yeah. And so it's easier. It's easier to just plug into that service. It's, it's easier and, ah. and the consequences are always less, right? There's a, there's a yeah. added layer of anonymity and anonymity. That too. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> you, you are just a little bit more anonymous online, even, even if you like are using your real avatar, there's a picture of you and you're using your real name. There's something that is removed. There's a, there's a tangible component that allows you to be a bigger 
D-bag online, right? It's the, the Yelp oh, yeah. reviewer does not exist yeah. in real life, right? Like there are some people who will, there are, the Yelp reviewer exists in real life. Let me, let me stop right there. There, there is yeah. a small portion of the world that is, that are willing to be a holes in person, but there's a huge portion of the world that are willing to be a holes online. And that's another, that's another component to this where, where you lose the, you lose the interpersonal connection and you, you start to think about people that you meet in the digital world as if they're not really humans. Hundred percent. I think that the that the freakiest uh, new way that this is coming about, and the reason why I think it's a freaky is because it's getting closer and closer into people's real lives. Is the app Nextdoor, and this is where people can be part of some kind of online message board community with people in their local neighborhood, yep. their local city, and. My wife loves it. She reads these posts on there. And some of them are just so hilarious because people, you have people saying things like, uh, like the most absurd one was, Hey, um, you know, blue Jays are dropping off peanut shells in my yard that they're getting from someone else's bird feeder. I can't believe none of you people are thinking about the, the, those of us out there with peanut allergies. And so it was like, Holy shit. You're, you're trolling your neighbors with this stuff. It's a stunning thing. It's very sad. I worry about like if things go Mad Max in yeah. your particular state, they go apocalyptic and you've never met your neighbors. I hope you're not using your, re- your real name on next door if you are being a complete tool. I mean, because people are using this in a way where sometimes it is very useful and awesome information, but other times I don't know what it is. People are tired at night. They've had a cocktail, whatever, like they're, they just decide, well, let me get in this weird trolley vibration and just get going with my thumbs and just just start going crazy on, on my phone and, and knock out some absurd statements. And then the comment chains on those go. And, and, uh, and it, it's, it's almost like, like with, with uh, any kind of solution we come up with, they seem to sometimes have like the opposite of the intended consequence. Yeah. So next door was probably put together to, and it, it seems like a great thing. You want yeah. to connect with your neighbors, but it turns into a way for you to like be a complete dick if you want to be and troll, which is terrible. Next door was an app that I downloaded for about a month. And I really, I, I had that exact, an exact thing. It was like, Oh, this is going to make me hate everyone that I live near. This is a terrible idea for me. I have to get rid of this. And uh, that, that is it. That is a social media platform that I haven't really thought about in a while. Cause that has been, that has been some years, but that it, I mean, it is, there is a, it is harder to create a social media app that is more analog, right? Because this is literally the people that live next to you. These are literally the people of your community, of these very specific residential communities. And people are still willing to, willing to be like, hey, you guys are ruining my life with these Blue Jays. This is, this is, this is absolutely insane. I can't, it, it, it is, I mean, and all social media platforms have this in a way. Like I do believe that, I don't know, but when I think about why these things were created, I do believe they were created to connect people. And I think if you essenced out um, the functionality, it's easy to come up with this concept that we are connecting people. But 
the divides that are also created are, are they seem to, the divides that are able to be created in a digital world seem to be much stronger than the divides that are able to be created in an analog world. It, it's really hard when you're, when you're face-to-face with somebody to, to say something horrible. And you, you, feel, you feel bad about yourself if you say something horrible face-to-face to some. But there's not that, you don't get that same negative feedback when you type something and then you're like, ah, the rest of the world is awful. I'm going to go eat some ice cream. <laughs> oh, and it's so, it's so much fun. Like I'm, so, I was so tempted. Like I created a, a next door account with like a fake name and I was like, I'm people and I could never bring myself to do it because it's like, okay, this is, oh, I'm such a genius. I'll, I'll have so much fun doing this. But it's like, no, I'm just going to be like stirring up more like poison in the world. <laughs> but <laughs> so I couldn't do it. It was like, okay, the juvenile part of me really wanted to, but it's like, okay, I will try to be an adult. And I will not do that. But it's, it's a fascinating thing to see how, yeah, that, that phone screen just allows you to kind of dehumanize yeah. all sorts of people. But yeah. I mean, that, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the condition like of humans. We cook something up and it has, it has some benefits, but these unintended consequences. Like I think about like the, yeah, synthetic versus real and, and digital versus analog. I think about that, that with like food as well. Yep. And how like you look at like polyculture food where you have a bunch of different plants growing in close proximity to each other. They're feeding off of each other's um, like root exudates, the different yep. waste products and things like that. You get a more flavorful, uh, healthier. They're guided by GPS and, satellites and stuff i mean that's and uh, you know you have to scale up if you want to grow as many people as we've figured out how to grow on this planet but um a lot is lost in that process and that food that you're eating is it's like it's like digital friendships and stuff that are purely just on social media it's kind of like it lacks enough nutrition to really uh, give you what you need in your life yeah yeah that that so nutrients are a pretty interesting, that's a pretty interesting one, right? I mean, because you can, you can lab create a lot of nutrients. Um, and, and as you said, in, in large scale farming, right, you can, you can add in lab created nutrients and you can add in significantly more, uh, more uh, amounts of lab created nutrients into your soil and if you do something, if you do something um, like like polyculture, or you do something where you start working with the microbes in the soil, you can add in essentially no nutrients, and you can create food with more nutrients in the end product by not adding in a single thing by taking care, like physically taking care of what you're doing. So this real versus synthetic thing. This real versus synthetic thing is, I think it's going to, I think we're going to be hit with it in a, in a real way in the food industry. You know, if you start, if you start really digging into soil science, 
we're like 25 to 50 crop years away from having non-viable soil in significant portions of America where we produce the bulk of our food product. That's 25 to 50 seasons of growing. We're going to be alive for that time. And if we don't change something, we're going to have soil we cannot grow in. And that's going to impact every single person, whether like whether you're like, oh, no, don't worry, I grow my own food. You don't <laughs> because <laughs> because the cost of everything, right, the, the impact of the impact of food shortage, the cost that 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 ripples out into society is is really unimaginable it will it will change the way that our society works in ways that are very hard to protect against or to predict yeah and the water everything we're, yeah we're draining really deep aquifers uh it's it's a hard it's a hard thing it is hard to be an optimist when you when you pay attention to all the problems out there we've made by scaling everything up in the way that we have and it's it's almost like the the imagination is the ultimate kind of virtual yeah. tool, and and what we've done is we're there's like this pureness to thoughts and the imagination, and so you can think in this very pure synthetic way and say, okay, here's how I'm going to grow ungodly amounts of corn, yeah. and you can do that. But then when you, you, apply, you apply that imagination, that human imagination to the real world, then you end up stripping all these nutrients away and, and having all these unintended consequences and, and cratering everyone's hormone levels because you have all of these you know, synthetic chemicals you're spraying on everything. And, and so there, yeah, there are so many uh, catastrophes out there in the future that you can see. Uh, and it's like a slow motion train wreck um, because we're not because we've moved away from the wild inputs and we're trying to get those back in the form of supplements and and things like that right you're trying to take care of your body now you don't have you know you're not getting the nutrients you need necessarily from food i mean it's fascinating to think that only in the past few generations we're at this point where you don't really eat hardly any wild food unless you intend to yep like that's that's a new thing completely to not eat anything that is just wild and wasn't um, modified over, I mean, even bananas, right? Fine. You could say, oh, it's a wild food. No, I mean, bananas used to just suck. And yeah. then we just worked on like ever, like apples. Yeah, almost tomatoes, everything, apples. right? All right, I lost you there. But so yeah. you were in the middle of why apples and bananas yeah and cultivated cultivated food essentially what what where they came from because i think it's it's fascinating it's a miracle we made these over time we bred them to be awesome and thank god we did what a gift from our collective past that we did that but as you yeah as you scale these things up and try to feed you know billions and billions of people um, you're losing something there and you're losing you're losing those wild elements and we're trying to like we're trying to recapture some of this in the digital world like our i think about our ancestors and the the community that people used to have the connections they used to have you look at like one of the most fascinating uh examples of this i think for like the 
the um, filling up of, of the cup, everyone has a cup and it's, it's kind of empty and you're trying to fill this damn thing up is uh, so primate grooming. We like primate, you look at, you look at monkeys, they, they pick, you know, lice off of each other, whatever they groom each other. And, and there's like this, there's this contact and there's less of that. Like people today do not have as much human contact as they, as they used to, for sure. Without a doubt. And, and so one of the, the craziest uh, synthetic replacements for this is this, these videos on YouTube called ASMR. And it stands for something like autosensory meridian response, something like that. Basically, it's these videos where someone is like whispering in your ear. And if you think back, I don't know if you did you ever have lice checks when you were a kid in elementary school? You didn't do that. So I remember this. We had lice checks. They would come through every once in a while. You'd have like a, a volunteer mom, you know, this volunteer group of moms that come through and they would check all the kids in like second and third grade. They'd look through their hair for lice and they'd go through there. And it was like, okay, this is the first time I think someone has ever like picked through my hair exactly like primates used yeah. to do. And yeah. what the effect that that has is your whole body, especially your scalp, everything lights up with just these tingles. Mm. And this is something that you don't even know that you were ever missing mm. and no one gets that at all. And so people yeah. are trying to replace this in the digital world. This is a stunning thing. It's interesting to think about the things that you didn't even know that were, that are missing. You know, mm. this is, it's like, to take it to the absurd, right? Icing your balls, getting light on your balls, being yeah. outside, right? All these things. It's like doing doing things that you know that your caveman ancestors had access to and got all the time and took for granted, and that uh, we have we've moved away from. And things are a lot easier now. Uh, if we were living, I'm wearing glasses. If we were living back in the day, I'd be dead. I'd be dead a long time ago. So, <laughs> so can't complain much but it's fascinating to pay attention to what to what we've lost and what you can try to replace in a real or maybe even a synthetic way as a as a way to try to recapture some of this so on this realness component yeah. one of the areas we haven't touched is is outsourcing versus versus doing and, and I guess we touched on it a little bit. We, we started in this way, right? We started with, we started with um, the, the burial component, which is, but in a, in a way that is, that is more practical to daily life, right? Like burials are, are death and practical to life for sure, but not, not for many of us, for most of us, not a daily occurrence. But on the daily occurrence side, there are lots of things that we do choose to kind of um, to outsource because we don't find them them as valuable as as they might be, and the the thing that's kind of clicking in my head is cleaning services, right? So um, cleaning services are an interesting one because the the time spent on on on, on cleaning can can feel really wasteful in in a, in a lot of in a lot of ways, but the the energetic uh, benefit of of living in a calm, clean, organized living space is is really valuable, and the care. Like if you go into a monastery, right? 
um, the, that is a huge component of, of what the daily life is, is just taking care of the physical space. And if you outsource all of that work to somebody else, uh, I imagine there is likely a pretty significant cost that is, that is uh, subconscious. There's a subconscious cost um, to, to living in a space that has been put together by someone else. Man. Yeah. I wish someone would, I need to get a cleaner. That'd be great. Um, but <laughs> then I can, then I can complain about what I've lost after, after my whole place is clean and I didn't do it. Um, that would be the ultimate. I would like to get there. Yeah. There, yeah. There's so many like, you know, Zen koans, right. About, you know, washing your bowl, right. What does the master say to you? What's his retort? What's his reply? It's to wash your bowl. Yeah. Um, and that, that is the path, right. Some kind of, presence with um doing what needs to be done and i think i think we i had this quote from the last episode from ram das which is that even god has to take out the trash and yeah and so being being present with that day-to-day stuff you have to do yeah oh god Pat, patrick are you telling me i need to like search for some kind of insight while i'm cleaning the litter box i mean <laughs> Man, I think this there is, is hard. It's gonna be hard. I think there is. I I really yeah. think there is insight in it. Um, and that it is, you know, it's it's taking. It's it goes back to a lot of what we talked about last week. Interestingly enough, right? It, it's there's there's taking an initiative to do something. There's, there's taking responsibility to kind of um, make make and create the the life, the living space that you want. I did this thing this week where I took everything out of, of the room that I'm in. And um, I'm a weird person, so I don't sleep in a bed. So all I have is a rug, a pillow, and, and a very, very, very thin blanket. And that's it. That, the, the entire room is empty aside from a rug, a pillow, and a blanket. And the like energetic shift in that space w- was marketable and palpable and uh, a really, really, it was a really, really interesting exercise. So I, I do think, you know, we're, we're lucky in a way, right? We live rurally. No one's going to come, no one's going to come pick up after. There, there is a 0% chance we are going to get people to drive out in the middle of nowhere and take care of the messes we've created. We have to. But when you live in suburbia, it's really easy. And I've done it, right? I've lived in suburbia and it's been like, yeah, I'm going to be out and uh, someone can come in and pick up this mess that I've created and dust these shelves off. And when you come in, it smells fresh, but it's completely different than this, than this energetic cleaning that I did of, of my sleeping quarters, which is just, it's like a home now. It's just, it's really, it's, it was a really interesting experience for me. And I I do think there is a lot of value both on the front and backside, right? Okay. Yeah, sure. It feels good. All that but you also appreciate and take care of things when you're in, when you are the one that's going to have to fix the, the mess you created for yourself. So I think that the, the doing component makes you more conscious of, of the work that will be involved in, in all of the things that, that you do. So hands-on makes you a more conscious being. I just think that that is inherently true about us. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's beautiful and, I, and as you're telling me about this like amazing minimalist room you have i'm just thinking about just the clothes all over the floor and like the chaos of my of my bedroom um and then the kids like tra- just the, the refuse the kids leave everywhere yeah do I pick this up or do I browbeat them to make them pick it up? It's, <laughs> this is an amazing contrast that we have between our lives. Um, so, oh no, I derailed myself. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say about it. Um, <clears throat> where was I going to take this? Uh, doing things yourself. Well, let me ask you this. Shoot, I forgot it. You can let this oh, run in so the good. background and maybe it'll come back. <laughs> yeah. What is, what is the decision you make? Um, with your kids, you know, the kids bust out. <laughs> things. Um, how do you approach that when they've, when they've taken over the family room and, and they've made it into their own play world? Um, if they're working on something, I let the mess happen. Yeah. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, even if they're not, I let it happen because you have to learn things. You have to learn to destroy things and make a mess and break things. Yeah. And, uh, and then figure that out and, and try to try to then, you know, bring that, that chaos that you created back into some kind of order. Um, that's, you know, and some people get very, you know, very uptight about that kind of stuff, but I just feel like, well, they're learning, if they're learning something like my kids are very, they like to make things, they're pretty creative. Um, and so let them trash the place, let them, let them burn through supplies. Let them figure it out a little bit. I don't really care. I, I'm fine with the chaos because yeah. it's a it's a creative household. We're all creative people, but um, maybe we're. But it's also it means that there's just like chaos everywhere. Like just there's because if you have a project, sometimes it's like you have a bunch of materials you, you brought together. There's things that are scattered everywhere, and you yeah. just let it happen. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a fine thing. I'm okay with that level of chaos, I guess. I mean, yeah, my, my bed tracks my heart rate variability, <laughs> which I had no idea a bed could do. It's one of these ridiculous sleep number beds. So, um, mm. the difference between what you're doing and what I'm doing, this is amazing. And, and, um, I love it. Um, I hope one day to get to this point of like simplicity <laughs> that you have. That's awesome. Um, yeah, trying to, hmm, it's, it's like the, there's a, there's like space. You have a lot of space when mental space, when you are out of that digital world and when you are just taking care of what needs to be taken care of in the real world. And there's, that creates space for like, you know, deep thought as well. And I think about how the attention span of people is just dead today myself included the phone has killed all that and and back in the back in the day um when you had the church and most people were illiterate they would walk into the church and the only thing that they could get information from was the stained glass windows in the church they would they would depict some kind of scene from the bible they could understand that and the priests they had they could read, right? They could read the Latin Bible and, 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 and they were the only ones. And I think that like the comparison today now is that the stained glass windows is the digital world. It's every single book that's been put onto audible. 
Yeah. And the real, the most occult thing, the priest class now is anyone who can sit down and read a book. <laughs> Seriously, because the attention span and people's lives are so busy now. Um, and, and the real occult information out there that's hidden is something that hasn't been digitized yet. Yeah. Like there are books out there. There are rare books that no one cares about or hardly anyone cares about. And those things haven't been digitized yet. Yeah. So if you can't find it online, you have to go searching for it, for it in the real world. It's yeah. hard for people. And then you'd have to, my God, you might even have to read the darn book instead of just listening to it on audible, yeah. like clean the dishes. So, um, so this is a fascinating twist. And, um, and if you're only, if you're only consuming stuff that, that the algorithm serves up to you, that's palatable to the algorithm and that has that number of views, then you're not going to the, the hidden corners of like the human experience and of human knowledge to, yeah. to rescue some kind of gold out of there. Yeah. That, so this is something, this, this specifically, this physically reading books um, is something that I've, I've been trying to cultivate within myself. When I was like 12 years old, um, I went on a trip overseas with some of my friends and we got in so much trouble that I almost got kicked out of Switzerland. And when I came home, my parents were not remarkably thrilled. So they came up with this solution that they were going to ground me for the entire summer and I was going to be forced to read books, which was like my favorite thing ever. So do not tell them. I went outside every day. I laid in the sun and I read books. And that is, my, that is the only summer that I really remember from my childhood because I loved it so much. And I would just every day I'd go out and I'd read for hours, just hours, just laying in the sun. And now I live in the middle of nowhere and it's that, that same quiet, right? Like where I grew up is very quiet. We were, we were, we were rural. So I didn't have any distraction. I, and I didn't have a phone at 12. And now I go out and I like, I've created this beautiful space um, in the middle of the property. That's just, it's secluded. It's isolated. There's these benches I can lay on. It's the same setup essentially as what I had when I was grounded as a 12 year old and in loving life. But I get out there, I start reading, and it's like I read a page, and then I, I'm like, feel that pull to my phone. Like, well, maybe I should check if somebody texts me. And, and then someone in, inevitably did, and I'm like sucked into this digital world. And when you do something on Audible, right, you can retain a lot of information, but you can also multitask. And we've talked about the benefit of multitasking, yeah. and there Hell is. Yeah. There is benefits of multitasking, but there's also a detriment too, right? It, it inherently, if you split your attention, you are, you are losing some of that attention on, on either side. So I have been really working and it's not easy. It's not easy to be like, <laughs> yo, you are going to spend three hours reading this book and you are going to hide your phone. I need somebody to just be able to like, <laughs> knock me out, hide yeah. my phone. And then I'll, I'll go do, go to the middle of the property. I'll read for a while and then I'll come back and, and everything will still be on my phone. I will have missed nothing. <laughs> it's still there. <clears throat> it's there's a, there's the acronym that the kids use these days, IRL in real life. Yeah. <clears throat> and the fact that that acronym exists 
just demonstrates the supremacy of the virtual world, especially for the younger generations right now, that you, you make this distinction and you use an acronym to do it that you could text, you could, you know, just send in a text. It really does demonstrate, I think, that, that the virtual world is more real to people these days. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. reading a book right now that is out of print. There's no digital copy. There's no audible version. And hopefully it'll be for a future episode. Mm. Um, and yeah, to carve out time to do that and, and to say, well, okay, yeah, I'll do that instead of YouTube or whatever, or work on something else. I mean, it's, it is a real dedication to do that. And, and so that's why I see this as like the new, this is the new occult thing. This is the new priest class. Like anyone who could, this is the new deep work and hardly anyone can do it anymore. Um, and it's a, it's a sad state for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, the, like what our human imagination has done there, you know, there's science fiction novels about this, like Isaac Asimov, he, he covered some stuff about how like humans would get so advanced that they couldn't, they get to a point where they couldn't even do simple things anymore because everything was done for them by the computers and by the machines. Um, But, Oh, that's happening. Sure. Though that is is absolutely happening. Yeah. Yep. I remembered, I remembered yes. what I had lost before. I knew it. You, you were talking before about, uh, uh, I think it was about like repairing something or taking care of your space, right? Yeah. Taking care of the things and how no one's going to come to your rescue if you have a mess that you've made. And in uh, Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, uh, which everyone should read, mm-hmm. everyone should read 1984 and Brave New World, uh, given what's given today given <laughs> but yeah. in in brave new world they have a saying there which is that um they have a few good ones but one of them is that it's better to end than mend and what they mean is it's better to throw something away than it is to repair it mm-hmm. and and of course that fuels the consumer society we have that everywhere you have a you have a product one microchip goes out on it and you throw it away yep. and we had you know we had a a lot of smoke here in Flagstaff earlier in the week because of forest fires. And this killed, we have like a little window air conditioner, all the ash in the air ended up uh, clogging up along with all the lint and whatever in the, the drain, the little water drain for the AC unit. The ash got in there too and made this amazing composite material <laughs> that just completely clogged up the AC. And so my wife's freaking out. She's like, well, it's hot. We need AC. Just go buy another one tomorrow. So that's not happening. I took that darn thing apart and cleaned everything out. And I was just thinking about that book and how it's better, yeah. it's better to end than mend. Yeah. And now the thing runs quiet and it's happy again. And it would have been just a real tragedy in a way to throw out all of this like like copper and refrigerant and plastic and an engine and like a motor, a little uh, electric motor in there that spins the fans and the electronics and the steel case. And why would, you know, it's, and, you know, she said, well, it's so old. It's about time. It's, it lasted a long time. It had a good run. It's time to get a new one. And it's true. It's old, but how do I know that the newer one is going to be of better quality? It might be of worse quality. Um, There are people, there are people today that, are like buying really old cars, you know, thing cars that don't have any electronics in them. 
and yep. and this is like the new luxury almost yep. to get like an old vintage jeep or something it has no chips in it anywhere yep um it has something that if it breaks down you can get parts for it and you can you could repair it yourself or find someone else who could repair the thing very easily yep. and you don't need diagnostic equipment uh you know to fix this and and so people are recognizing now the importance of being able to fix things themselves and the importance of having like simple tools and simple systems that you can rely on because everything has gotten so complex complex these days and the complexity creates a degree of fragility it's funny it's funny you say that i have i have this very uh unique fj crawler which is like this this interesting addition of an fj cruiser and i was going to get rid of it um because i have a fancy little electric car now that's like a simple and the the FJ Crawler ha- is the only car that, <laughs> I mean, it's increased in value since I bought it. Yeah. And um, it, it is an, it's an amazing, like it is a go anywhere machine and it is, it is simple. It's stupid. It's heavy, but um, it was, it was a, like, I've never really been attached to, to, man it was i i could not get rid of it like i barely i barely use it but man it like i know it's my apocalyptic game plan it's like get in that thing and you totally 280 miles so just start going somewhere for 280 miles away (laughs) yeah yeah um but you're right i mean old and, and and same thing you know you talked a little bit about um mass scale farmers and and they're in a they're in a real bind right now because they're not they're not able to fix their own tractors so um the big tractor companies are putting in so much technology and uh they're they are putting in technology that prevents farmers from being able to repair issues in their tractor. So anytime something goes wrong, they have to pay more money to the company that they bought this thing from. And that is, that is certainly a planned component of this. I mean, this is happening in, in essentially everything we do, right? I mean, MacBooks, um, yeah. there's, there are, there are very, there are very strong built in components that prevent you from being able to repair these things. And most of the time, it's it's something stupid, right? It's like, oh, here's how we fix this. We just pour glue all over the electrical components so that everything has, you cannot make a, a solder repair. You have to rip everything out and throw it away. That is your only option. Buy a new one from us, period. So we are we're living, we are living some strange fiction. We are, there, there is some, there is some fantasy fiction that has become our reality in ways that are pretty scary right now. And, and those two books, A Brave New World in 1984, a little too on the note. Uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So these companies, I mean, to build, it's almost like a necessary evil, like this planned obsolescence that they have where you have to constantly like, I'm afraid to upgrade the, you know, to the new, the new iOS on the phone, because how do I know that they're not going to put something in there that's going to kill the battery life on the yep. phone, right? They need to do that so they can sell more of these things. If they were too durable, 
then they couldn't make enough money yep. because these they they do need the money for R and D and and all of the technology that they're working on developing. So I get it, but it's a darn shame. And eventually, I think as a species, we're going to have to grow up and be like, look, we can't just keep throwing crap out. Like we're yeah. going to run out of raw materials for sure. And you look at yeah, you look at those farmers with the the tractors with all the computer chips. I, I mean, I heard something just yesterday about how I don't know if this is true or not I, I tend to suspect it is or close to true that 80 percent of the chips that are made today are made by one company in one country in taiwan 80 percent of them and how like intel now they are even going to this company and saying can you make our next gen chips because we've lost the technology we don't have the technology to make them we're going to make a factory maybe in the U.S. spend like a you know ten billion dollars to do it, but it'll take us you know five years to make the factory, yeah. and by then the technology might be outdated. Like sure. it's moving so fast, it's getting so highly spe- like highly specialized that it, all the technology has to be consolidated in one place so they can keep growing it incrementally on that cutting edge of development. But that just makes things so fragile. So freaking hold on to that crawler man that that sounds like an incredible vehicle you just need a few extra gas tanks it's true Um, it's true i I would suggest i would suggest whiskey get a bunch of whiskey in there too that's a good trading thing whiskey and ammo for the apocalypse for trading you're gonna need some barter barter supplies man and whether whiskey and ammo is solid as hell maybe some like those mre rations or whatever true Um, you're not gonna gonna lose value on those (laughs) All right. So as we no. today, any, any last, I got two things for you. Any last thoughts to, to crystallize, yeah. to crystallize this concept and any recommendations for out of print books? Yeah, I don't think I have recommendations for out of print books because my interests are so niche that they're not going to, most people aren't going to be interested. All right. So like the, Okay, so I'll, yeah, I, I could say like the book I'm reading now is called Toadstool Millionaires, mm-hmm. and it's about um, it is about the patent medicine industry um, in the early in like the 1700s and in the 1800s, and this is like the kind of the quack medicine and the different um, the different preparations that were made by doctors and snake oil salesmen uh, back in the day and the the, the mixture between medicine and entertainment, essentially, because these were like road, these became road shows. And so it's like circus, like the freak show tent, the circus and the miracle cure. It's all coming together. And so like reading this and seeing the overlay of that and um, the biohacking world and like Instagram and all that and seeing some of like the curious kind of congruences there is fascinating. And so if I can, actually whip myself into um, having the attention span to read this thing and then, you know, bringing, bringing some different connections together. I think this would be a fascinating thing to talk about in the future. So that's what I'm reading. It's not a recommendation though, but it is out of print and you'll never find it digitally. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So like closing thoughts, um, like there's that saying that man cannot live by bread alone. I think today it's that people can't live by memes alone. And that the digital world flattens reality to, to a degree that, that isn't good for you. And so like finding ways to be aware of this, finding ways to reclaim the analog uh, for yourself and your life is, is pretty important. And 
you're recording outside today. We can hear all the crickets and the birds in the background and being outside a little more, finding small ways to reclaim the analog and to reclaim reclaim doing things yourself that are normally services um, is pretty good. Yeah, all of that for sure, <laughs> without a doubt. I think my, my final thought would be to really look into the poll to see you know, when you have, when, when you're faced with the choice, it's really easy to say, oh, I'm going to make the choice to go do this digital thing because it feels like there is so much opportunity. But also as you're pushing into or being pulled into that, that opportunity of, of a digital world, can you, can you consciously be aware of the the opportunity cost that's happening in the in the real world in the analog world and just just balance out and weigh out those those two opportunities versus versus lost opportunities um and see what arises in you because i think that is a thing that the more i think about the more um i'm intrigued by you know, you, you said before, as like a good technique to use, you said before, well, I'm going to be outside, I'm going to read this book, but then the phone is there and it's pull and it's always the same crap and it'll be waiting for you. Like, just you can think about it that way. Like the phone, I can always pick it up later. It yeah. will be there. Um, yeah. I, I can do that later. It's still there. Yeah. And and if you, if you tried to live in, I don't even know if I could do it. Yeah, trying to live in the analog world and giving that as, um, as much attention as you give to the digital world, um, like, don't worry. Don't be afraid that you'll quit it and, and you'll lose the digital world forever. That garbage will still be waiting for you. Good luck trying to quit it. It'll suck you back in. But yeah. the longer you stay away, then you have like this strange feeling when you come back to it where you're like, wow, this is, this is not what I thought it was. This is just kind of strange. And maybe it is the matrix. Maybe that's, Maybe that's uh, your inner Neo and yeah. your spidey senses. <laughs> so uh, telling you, you should be suspicious of it. Yeah. Joel? Oh, oh, and Tales from the San Francisco Cacophony Society. If you're looking for an out-of-print book, that's a good time. Tales from the San Francisco Cacophony Society is a, is a wonderful read. Joel, thank you so much for uh, connecting today for sharing a little bit of uh, our brains through this digital world. And hopefully it inspires some people to get out there and uh, explore the real world. Yeah, I can't wait to see where we're going to take this next. We haven't even decided what the next uh, episode will be. If you have more questions, look in the show notes. I'm sure my email's there, your email's yes. there, something, websites, yeah. whatever. It's all there. Find us, reach out. Oh, yeah, reach out. We'll do something awesome. Let me, let me do the first time ever. Um, if you like the show, I've never done this, but everyone does it and it is valuable and important and I'm apologizing prehand. If you like the show, review us on iTunes. That's super helpful. And tell somebody about us because why not? Like share, share some cool ideas with people. Thank you guys. Love you. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Joel. See you, Patrick. All right, man. <laughs> Dude. That was a trip, huh? That, that went all over. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Every one of these, every one of these, I feel like we talk for an hour 
an hour and a half almost on this one. And we like barely scratched the surface of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. And yet we're just going and so we're covering so many different weird things. It's awesome, you know? And we <laughs> that's the best part. Cover, yeah, we cover everything. It's an amazing, yeah. it is an amazing feeling at the end of these things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So oh, man. No. This is good, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't know what I did with my video there. Can you still see me? <clears throat> yeah, I can see. You. Okay, good. Um, well, cool. I, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks again for a little uh, tweak on the timing and let's talk soon. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it, man. Cool. All right. See you. Enjoy your day. Thanks, man.